Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Merry Christmas to all of you who are watching today or listening on the road or sitting around a fire or whatever you're doing. We just want to say Merry Christmas to you. I'm excited to launch into our brand new series, Kevin, I just told you about and officially start our Christmas season. Now, this time of year really is probably my favorite of all year because it's cold-ish, you know, in Louisiana, so there are no, um, at least very few mosquitoes. Also, there's tons and tons of food, but really, it's hunting season, and for me, it doesn't get any better than that. Now, my beautiful bride, Emily, on the other hand, loves Christmas because of the music, the lights, the trees, the family, and especially because of Hallmark season. Are there any Hallmark fans watching or listening today? I mean, Emily told me just this past week how excited she was about Hallmark season coming in and shared that apparently Lindsay Lohan is making a return to movies and is now a wholesome romantic and will be shown on Hallmark. And then she told me Paris Hilton is married, Britney Spears is free, and on and on and, and on. But, but back to Christmas here. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but all Hallmark movies have the same plot, the same storyline, the same actors, the same actresses. But only do they have the same plot, they even all look the same. Now, I shared this example at the Segan Christmas about three years ago. But I want you to look at this picture. They all look exactly the same. But ladies, let's be honest. Y'all don't really like Hallmark because of the content or the storyline or the actors or the actresses. You like it because you see the movie just like my wife does. Yeah, you see yourself as the main character. There's always a happy ending. You're always the center of it all. And really, you're always the star. Now, that's really no problem to think about that way when it comes to Hallmark movies. But sadly, this is how many of us actually live our lives. And it really never ends in a happy ending when we live our life that way. We end up disappointed, hurt, hurtful, hurting other people, alone, and ultimately, Hopeless. I mean, just look at the state our world is in right now because we've made ourselves the main character. We have to see, guys, we are not the main character of life. We're not the main character of this meta-narrative that God has created. It is not all about us. It has been and always will be about Jesus. And not just Christmas, but everything. The true Son of God and the Savior of the world. And he's exactly what our brand new series is all about. Now, to be a little bit different, because it's not technically a Christmas series, even though over the next few Sundays we'll be walking through the Christmas story in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, but we're actually going to be walking through the book of Luke starting here at Christmas, and it will take us all the way through Easter. And just like Pastor Kevin said a while ago, this is a great time to jump in the chapel Bible reading plan with us. You'll be able to see where we're going, what we're going to talk about. We're in Advent right now, walking through the early part of the gospel. And it would be a great time to jump in with us and take your study a little bit further. Now, we chose the book of Luke not just because it's the longest gospel, the longest account of Jesus' life. It actually has 1,151 verses, but really we chose it because of his extreme attention to detail and his investigative style as he approaches documenting the life of Jesus. Because Luke started off as a skeptic, and we began the task of investigating Jesus and seeing his claims and seeing if it was true. He actually eventually became a Christ follower and was willing to die for his faith in Jesus. And this is the type of church that we want 
to be. We want to be a church that welcomes the skeptic, encourages you to investigate, to ask questions if you don't currently follow Jesus. I want to read this quote from Tabati Onion Wilby. I think is how you say his last name, but you can Google him. He's a brilliant, brilliant pastor and theologian. He says this, If you've ever been told that to be a Christian you must check your mind at the door, I'm here to tell you somebody lied to you. Bring your mind to this book, and both your mind and your heart will be satisfied. To be a Christian is to be a thinking being, and to think most deeply about the most profound things, the nature of God and the ways of God in the universe. Do not check your mind at the door. If you ever meet a pastor who gives you that impression, find yourself another pastor and another church. Was it not the Lord himself who told us that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Bring your brain to church. Bring your brain to the Word. You will be lost without it. Bring your mind and open it to the truth of God's Word. So if you have questions, if you're wondering how you can reconcile all these things, I'm so glad that you are here. If you're a skeptic, I'm so glad that you're here because the book we're about to dive into, Luke started off just like you. But if you're a Jesus follower, this series is for you too. We've been talking about what we need to know, but now we're going to talk about who you need to know. We're going to talk about what we believe, but also why we believe it. So many of us just have this empty pseudo-faith, pseudo-hope, where we just think, okay, just because someone told us we get to believe it, but we want you to have a genuine, investigative, deeply grounded and rooted faith in Jesus. Many of you, if you're followers of Jesus, simply believe the Bible and what it teaches, not because actually you, you read it, because very few people actually read it, but we believe it because of what we were told about it through selected stories, kids Sunday school, preachers with an agenda, and you hold to you know the old saying, the Bible says it, and that settles it mantra, but you don't know why the Bible says it and really what it means and why it matters. Now, others of you might have grown up reading the Bible or hearing it taught, and you just find it really hard to reconcile what's in it with what's happening in our world today which I totally get those questions. You might have even asked these questions, seeking answers, but you just got blown off, kind of like Tabati was saying a while ago. It might have actually caused you to walk away from church and ultimately from Jesus. And if this is you, if you're listening, or if you know someone who might be a skeptic, this is a great message to share because I'm so glad that you're listening today. Don't let a bad experience and unanswered questions keep you from Jesus, His story, His message, and His love. This is why we chose the book of Luke. Because through, the, through Luke and his thorough investigation, we're going to see the life of Jesus in an incredible detailed account of His story. And that's exactly how Luke begins his book, how he came about documenting Jesus' story. And this is important for us today, and it's important for Luke back then, because the reality is if we don't know the story of the Bible, how it came about, how we got these documents, then it's really easy for us to discount the stories in the Bible. If we, if we discount and don't know how the story of the Bible came about, it's easy to discount the stories within it, especially the big one, the story of Jesus. Now, you might not realize this, but the story of how we got the Bible didn't actually start in the beginning, it started with guys like Luke and other people like him. I don't know if you realize this, Luke was actually not even a Jew. He was not one of God's chosen people. He was a Greek doctor, a Greek physician. And he, like most good doctors, were, well, he was extremely detailed. 
Then he took the time to investigate and record the events, details, and specifics of Jesus' life. And he did this for his friend named Theophilus. Now, we don't really know a lot about Theophilus. You're going to see his name in the scripture in just a minute. I mean, really, who is this guy? Because his name in Greek actually means loved by God. So a lot of smart people ask the question, is he one guy or is he the church, the people who are loved by God? Now, the general consensus among really smart people in my position, not that I'm smart, I just agree with the smart people, is that he was actually a first century Jesus follower. He was a singular person and was most likely rich and possibly even a Roman government official. You're going to hear him called the most excellent Theophilist in just a little bit. But the reality is, what Luke writes is still applicable to all of us who are loved by God. What you're going to see in Luke 19.10 is every single one of us. Now, Theophilus apparently had gotten bits and pieces of Jesus' story from people telling him, but he really wants the full story. So he funds Luke's investigation, which shows up as in our Bible, the Gospel of Luke. So now let's dive into the scriptures. We're going to work through Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 today. And then next week, we're really going to dive into the Christmas story. Luke writes, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Now here we see Luke wasn't the only one who decided to document Jesus' story. I mean, just within our scripture, we know of three other people. The Gospel of Matthew, which was specifically written for Jewish people to show how Jesus fulfilled all the promises of the Old Testament. Then we have the Gospel of Mark, which is really a transcription of the words and sermons of Peter. And if you read it, it kind of sounds like a fisherman wrote it. It's immediately, immediately, immediately. Either he had ADD or he was really about action. And then the Gospel of John. And you can tell John's a little more romantic. He likes to tell the narrative, the discourses, and the story. Now, this is a big deal that Luke isn't just the only one writing this down. The fact that there are many is incredibly important. Because this was unheard of back in this time during the first century. To begin with, most people were actually illiterate. But transcribing and writing in this time were incredibly, unbelievably expensive. There were no word processors, there were no Google Docs, there was no Microsoft Word. It was extremely, extremely expensive. So if there was even one account about somebody, that's a big deal. They were extremely important. Now, if there were multiples, then something happened that was worth documenting. And we'll get to that in Jesus' life in just a little bit. But what we see through the fact that we have multiple accounts of Jesus' life, the Gospels, is that indeed, Jesus' story was worth documenting. Jesus' stories were documenting. And if you're a skeptic again in the room, you're a skeptic listening to this, you're a skeptic whose friend shared this with you, if you've walked away from Jesus, if you've disengaged from church, if you've become disenchanted, if you've become indifferent, if you're deconstructing your faith, I want you to see this right here. Not what the church has said, not what the preacher has said. I want you to see what is happening right here. That this is a reason to engage with us. And to look over the next few months as we look at the story of Jesus, that something incredible happened to make his life worth documenting. Even though the mass majority of people would never get a chance to read it in that time, as expensive as it was and as time-consuming as it was, it was worth it. Which means it's worth it for you to engage with us. So Luke said, many people have also taken this task to document what has happened. Look at verse 2. 
just as they were handed down to us by those from the first who were eyewitnesses and the servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly, of course the doctor would make it orderly, account for you, most excellent Theophilus. There's our guy Theophilus. So that you may know the certainty, may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Now here is where we get into Luke's investigation of Jesus' story. And what does it say that he investigated? Everything. He didn't leave any stone unturned from the beginning. But notice, he didn't just investigate it. He said, I carefully investigated it. And this is exactly what my wife did to me whenever we were in college, before we ever met and before we ever started dang. She carefully investigated me and my life through social media, but I didn't even have one. She actually did it through other people's. Now, she called it um, dating research. I call it maybe a little creepy, but that is exactly what Luke did. He carefully investigated and recorded Jesus' story. And believe me, Jesus' story... There are definitely some things that are worth investigating. I mean, a, a virgin birth? Yeah, that sounds sketchy. We, we need to confirm that. Feeding over 5,000 people with a granola bar and some sardines? Like, we need to check that out. Sending demons into pigs and then they jump off a cliff? We, we got to ask about that. Walking on water, turning water into wine, all the things Jesus did. You get the picture. There were questions around it. And Luke an incredibly and highly intelligent doctor, educated at the wazoo probably more than any of us watching today. He carefully and detailedly investigated the life of Jesus. But how did he do it? He did it through eyewitness accounts. Luke talked to the people that were actually there, and painstakingly so. Peter, James, John, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, who was always with Jesus. Years and years and years and years and years of interviews. Tons of money. One pastor actually describes Luke in this way. He says, you can think of Luke as a part crime scene investigator, part detective, part investigative reporter, and also part Indiana Jones. He's checking all the details to see the validity of Jesus' life, documenting all these details. And as he's doing this, guys, he has no clue that it would one day be in this thing called the Bible, wrapped up in that genuine imitation leather. Because Luke wasn't a philosophical writer. He wasn't a religious leader. He wasn't a blogger or an Instagram influencer. He was a Jesus follower and a historian who documented the details of Jesus' life. But the biggest or really more important thing that he investigates isn't just the life of Jesus. It's actually the beginning of Christianity that happened when the story of Jesus seemingly ended. It was when Jesus crucified, was crucified on the cross. And the reason why this is important is the start of Christianity is that Jesus' followers actually thought everything was over when Jesus died on the cross. They thought that all he had claimed to be he wasn't it. He claimed to be God, but God can't die. I mean, he was a good teacher. He was a miracle worker. He was a good friend, but there's no way he could be the Messiah, the promised one to deliver, because the Messiah can't die. The Son of God cannot die. But Luke documents Jesus' whole arrest, his beating, his death, and his burial with extreme, extreme detail. 
And historically, no one disputes this. No one in history says that Jesus wasn't crucified. But Luke wrote it in extreme detail. Look what he says in Luke chapter 23, verses 53 through 56. And we'll preach through this in about four months whenever we get close to Easter. It says, Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock. And this is Joseph of Arimathea, a religious leader who loved Jesus. And also Nicodemus is with him as well. And it's one in which no one had ever been laid. It was preparation day. And the Sabbath was about to begin. They were trying to hurry before they had to rest. It says, The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. So we see they, Joseph, Arimathea, Nicodemus, Mary Magdalene, all of the ladies, were acting like Jesus was going to stay dead. Why? Because dead people stay dead head. Guys, they, they thought everything was over. They thought Jesus was just a really, really good guy, a really good teacher who made crazy claims and was now dead. But, but Luke keeps writing these things. And we need to realize at this point in time, in this part of Jesus' story, guys, there are no Jesus followers. Everybody thinks it's over. There is no church. There is no Bible. There are no preachers. There is no Christmas. There is no hope. End of story. But if that was actually the end of the story, there would be no story. No Bible, no church, no Old Testament, no Luke documenting all these details, and really, ultimately, there would be no hope. But Luke did write an account. He spent years researching. He spent tons of money. We do have a Bible, and we're still talking about Jesus today 2,000 years later. Why? Because the story of Jesus didn't end on the cross. It was really, it was really just beginning. Because Luke documents all of Jesus' life because of one thing that happened at the end of his life. Resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus. This is why Luke writes everything that he did. He documents all we're going to walk through in this series. The miracles, teaching, the death, the birth of the church, the boldness of the disciples. He actually writes a whole different book called the book of Acts. And he did all this and he focused it on Jesus. Why? Because Jesus predicted and pulled off his own resurrection. And he wants us to place our faith in him. Not in religion, not in philosophy, not in humanism, not in the secular cultural world. He wants us to place our faith in Jesus because he is alive. Here's another little quote by Tabati Anya Wabi. The only things worth believing are true things. Religion and worldviews can be very beautiful and contain a lot of good. But if they are false, then they are futile. A person's faith is only as good as the object they rest their faith on. We can be confident in what we believe only if what we believe is true. What we offer you in Christianity is a faith that is biblically, historically, and verifiably true and therefore trustworthy. And the reality is, guys, Luke wrote all of this for this purpose, so that we might place our faith in Jesus. The guy who was once a skeptic documented and put all this together because he truly believed and truly learned that Jesus is alive and he wants us to have faith in him. Look what he says in verse 4. 
He wrote this so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught, so that you may know they really are true, so that you might know they really did happen. Because if Jesus really is who he said he is, which the resurrection proves, because if you can predict it, pull it off, whatever you say goes, guys, then studying his life and studying his teaching would be actually paradigm shifting for us. Placing our faith in him and studying who he is and what he did would be paradigm shifting. I mentioned earlier, we just finished a series entitled, What You Need to Know, where we really walk through the essential beliefs of Christianity, or in other words, gospel doctrine. But what we see in scripture, guys, is that gospel doctrine, believing the right things, should always lead to gospel culture, which is living the right things. Gospel doctrine leads to gospel culture, which means we're living like Jesus. I want you to hear that. Gospel doctrine is believing the right things, incredibly important, but it alone is not enough. It should always lead to gospel culture, living like Jesus. And that's exactly what we're going to see over the next few months as we walk through the gospel of Luke. We're going to see gospel doctrine in and through the teaching of Jesus, but we're also, and really more importantly, going to see gospel culture in and through the life of Jesus. We're going to see the gospel lived out. And just so you know, guys, the gospel of Jesus isn't just us being forgiven for our sin and having the mercy of God. It is really the grace, the undeserved gift of new life through Jesus living in us. And the reality is, guys, if you'll join us for this series, if you'll join us for the study of Jesus' life and teaching and allow gospel doctrine, which is incredibly important, to lead you into gospel culture, living like Jesus, then I promise you, your life and your eternity will change. You will find meaning and purpose and joy and contentment and rest. You're actually going to see that it will allow us to address the problem of humanity. We can all agree that humanity is broken. There is brokenness and evil in the world, but in the Gospel of Luke, the life of Jesus, we're going to see not just it addressed, but actually a solution offered. It will fulfill your deepest needs, your deepest issues. It will fulfill everything that you're looking for that the world cannot fix. The person and the work of Jesus, he can do that. So I want to invite you to engage with us. Today is just the starting point. This is really just kind of an overview of where we're going and why we believe the Gospel of Luke. So if you have questions, bring them. Man, ask them in the comment section. Email us at connect at thechapelbr.com. Show up in person on site at one of our locations, and we can have a face-to-face -face conversation because we want to answer your questions. Do not check your brain at the door because if you leave your brain, your heart really won't know what to believe. But if you engage with the information, that's where God can truly perform a transformation in your heart and allow gospel doctrine to lead to gospel culture and truly allow us to begin to live like Jesus. And can you imagine, can you imagine how your life would change if you would do that? If you begin to live and love like Jesus? Can you believe or really dream about, imagine how your relationships would change with your spouse, with your kids, with the people around you, even the people you don't like? Imagine being able to love like Jesus. And imagine how Christ would use us, how Jesus would use us in the world if we begin to love people like him. He came at Christmas to be a gift. 
He came to Christmas to, to grow up and ultimately to die for our sin. But also he came to Christmas so he could be resurrected and to give us a new life. And that's where hope is found. And ultimately, that is where joy is found as well. Let me pray for you, and then Pastor Kevin will come back and lead us through the Advent candle. Father, I just pray that you would be with everyone who is watching or listening today, and that they would see, Lord Jesus, that you invite us to come and to reason with you, to ask questions. You are big enough for all of our doubts and all of our frustrations. You are big enough to cover the things that we can't reconcile in our own mind. So I pray that we would just bring it, we would bring it to you, and we would allow you to minister to us. Lord, we pray that as we begin to look at the life of Jesus and, and what he did, how he encountered people, that one, we will see that he is worthy of us following, he is worthy of our praise, he is worthy of us worshiping him, but also that you call us into something greater, not just to be a part of your family, but to be a part of your kingdom and to build your kingdom here on this earth. So I pray this Christmas season, Lord Jesus, we would engage with you. We will see who you truly are and what you've truly done and what that means for us to live it out. We love you and we thank you for all of this in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.